Ghostbusters was one of the biggest hits of the 1980s. It was the model for how to make a summer tentpole movie, showed how to turn a comedy into an ATM machine, made Bill Murray into a bonafide star, lifted Ivan Reitman from respected comedy director to living legend, and gave us a song we'll never get out of our heads. Ghostbusters also shows how easily you guys were amused as children, because this really isn't the funniest, it isn't the scariest, and it isn't the most intense movie, but it's also the most iconic. This is 80s Movie Guide. A guide to what's wrong with your parents. I'm Riley Roberts. And I'm Tara McNamara. Ghostbusters is about three wacky paranormal scientists who open a business as ghost exterminators at a time when some spiritual shenanigans are at foot. It also proves how you can literally con yourself into anything, in any situation. (laughs) Yeah, I, I think that is what people don't realize about Ghostbusters. And actually, um, just before we started recording, you and I were talking about that. Yeah. Um, and it really was a discovery to, to go, yeah, because Peter Vinkman, we see him at the beginning, right? You have Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis's characters. You know, they're, they are the scientists. They are the ones who really are passionate, who really believe in parapsychology. They're all on board, right? But, but Vinkman, Bill Murray's character, you know, we open with seeing him do some ESP testing, you know, from his grant that he obviously isn't taking seriously. He's just trying to get into the female student's pants. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and he, it's clear he doesn't really believe in it. He doesn't care. Uh, he's kind of, you know, just skating through life. Yeah, and then he gets the girl at the end. And, and not only does he get the girl, he gets, you know, he's rich, rich and, famous. and famous. Yeah, I mean, remember Dana, Sigourney, Weaver, Sigourney Weaver's character, you know, at the beginning, and we'll get into all of this part, but, like, you know, she starts out being, like, whatever, go away, and then we see as they become more and more famous, and she's talking to people, oh, yeah, Mom, he's the, he's a Ghostbuster, and when she sees him again, and she's like, wow, you guys have been getting a lot of attention, right? I mean, he is famous, and he is rich, just because he happened to stumble upon something that, you know, who who knew? Yeah. <laughs> who knew there was going to be the second coming of Zool, you know? I mean, that, 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 that. So it really is fascinating that it kind of did show this, um, you know, wisecracking, uh, you know, uh, loser, really, who's just sort of like, you know, just lived within the college system, right? I mean, there there's people like this that exist that, go to college, they love college, and his personality seems like that guy, the frat guy, or the guy who just, like, loves college and never wants to leave and never wants to go. And we, we hear um, Dan Aykroyd's character talk about, like, hey, you know, you haven't been in the real world. I have. So he's, he's only stayed in that educational uh, atmosphere. So he just went and got his master's, and he went and get his Ph.D., and then he figured out how to get grants, and he's only been in this academic circles, right? And and there are people like that that exist that just never leave college. <laughs> They're like this kind of works for me. I like the lifestyle and they never get out. And that's Vinkman, you know? And so the idea that he would get his PhD in um parapsychology or, you know, um uh, is kind of like makes sense because he'd be like, "Okay, you know, it's not maybe that he he doesn't seem to totally believe it, but it's like he doesn't not believe it. Yeah. But it just seems like he thought, well, that'd be that'd be interesting to get that. I'll do that. Yeah. And then somehow stumbles into this whole thing. But that really is a message. Um, you know, that really is, that still does send a message to 
viewers watching. And if it was just this movie alone, but it's always that these always are are trends that you see in film and where you have sort of the irrepressible loser stumble his way into great success and getting the beautiful girl and getting money and, and finding, you know, fame or whatever it is. And so this is just another example of that. Um, what did, okay. So you said at the beginning that you did not really like the movie that much. No, I never really have. I never thought it was that interesting. I saw it for the first time, like last year and I was like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Like, like, there's just nothing special about it. I think what I, you know, it's 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 interesting because you think that because of all the films that you have seen, that I would say built on the success of this movie, right? So we have a horror comedy. We definitely get a lot of horror comedies in the '80s. You know, it wasn't the first horror comedy. Yeah, uh, American Werewolf in London. Um, was from 1980 and and that and you know and there's ones I mean there's stuff going back to Abbott and Costello which I would say is not really that much of a horror movie but this I mean there were scary moments in this film if you saw it on the big screen and again you know you look at the we talked about this before but you look at the special effects and right now they're laughable but then you know I mean when the when the when the librarian ghost uh screams at at uh, the ghostbusters then, I mean, that was scary. <laughs> you know? That was not that scary. That was not scary at all. Yeah, I mean, but you do have these horror comedies. Gremlins, Gremlins, I think Gremlins came out the same day as Ghostbusters. So that was another horror comedy. Um, so, you know, so it wasn't that that was original, but but what it did incorporate was that you had, it's an action film, you know, it's an action comedy, it's a horror comedy, it's you know, a bunch of different genres and, um, you know, and this idea that, you know, you could take different genres and add humor to it was something that was also growing in the eighties. So, so you, you know, so now you're just sort of more used to these films. Um, what stands out to you? What movies or I'm sorry, what moments made you cringe in the film in the, in the, just the respect of through the lens today that, you know, Oh, we don't do that anymore. Uh, well, obviously, Obviously, he was being douchey when he was trying to hit on the student in college. Yeah, and and yeah, and electrocuting or whatever you know, yeah. the the other the male student, dude. and then just his entire relationship with the first girl in general, Dana Barrett. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the way that he approaches her. Yeah, I I kind of went back and forth on this on how gross his behavior is. I think when you look in the entire context of 80s movies, it seems pretty mild. And even in the context of Bill Murray movies in the 80s, it's pretty mild. Meatballs, which is actually the late 70s uh, and an Ivan Reitman film, is has a has a attempted rape scene which is played for laughs um so so you know it's we're certainly far away from that but we have to take each movie on its own and just look at it and the fact is you know he at least he didn't like have sex with her when she was zool when she was a dog yeah <laughs> like when she was begging you know and i i agree and so it kind of feels like it balances it but let's just start at the beginning right so she comes into the office that's totally fine to have you know be attracted to a girl who is you know wanting to hire your services that's normal no problem with that he like sort of insists he goes to her house she's like oh okay and then once he gets there that's the thing to me so, you know, you're bringing someone to your house 
and he's being inappropriate. He's, you know, making comments about the bedroom. She's like, oh, you know, nothing ever happened in there. And he's like, oh, that's a shame. And he's being kind of, he's, he's putting out this vibe and, you know, she's got him in her apartment alone and that's uncomfortable, you know? Um, and you, and then it, it, it gets increasingly more uncomfortable till she is pushing him out the door yeah. Letting him know she is not interested. And still, the fact that even if you thought that it was, like, kind of cute and kind of okay, he pushes back on the door. You know, she's closing it, and he pushes it back open, which, you know, I mean, that's, that's you know, that's like a stalker rapist move right there. You know, just yeah. to say, what? No kiss? I mean, at that point, you know, full-on douchebag. But, like, it, but it's a little, uh, you know, what people should realize, especially— men is that you know it's not funny and it's not cute if you're a woman you're getting kind of scared and freaked out at that point you know you're very uncomfortable and feel very unsafe and so then the next time we see him with her right he he shows up at her work um and is saying i need to you know i have to meet you at night at your place to talk about the case 9 p.m but she was just like she was also like kind of okay with it she well, she kind of seemed to go back and forth. So at this point now, you know, okay, he's become more famous, so she's mm-hmm. finding him a little bit more charming. But she is still saying, "Why does it have to be a date? Why does it have to do that? It's not professional." And he's turning a business situation into a date. Now, the thing to keep in mind, right, is that she doesn't have anyone else to turn to about this. They are the Ghostbusters. They're the only people who are, you know, going to listen to her. And by the way, her story's crazy. There's, you know, an alternate universe in her refrigerator. Anyone will think she's crazy. She has stated that earlier in the film. She can't tell anyone else about it. So she is completely reliant. So if he's like, and he was insistent, I've got to meet you at your place at nine o'clock, you know, and he's making it clear that it's a date. And then later she says it's a date. So, you know, I think we're supposed to be okay with it because, you know, she's kind of smiling and she seems like she's all right with it. But but then again, this is the weird 80s thing of what it did to women of saying, well, you can say no, but they're going to think that it's OK. And you really actually think it's OK. Yeah. So you can say no when you might actually want it, you know, and that was a really confusing message as a as a woman. Um but, yeah, but then, of course, when he has a chance to have sex with her once she's possessed, he doesn't. And, I mean, so I guess we give him credit for that. But, I mean, wouldn't you be alarmed at any guy who had sex with a woman who was clearly possessed? Yeah, no. And levitating? By a dog? I mean, you would think, wouldn't you think at a minimum, at a minimum, you'd be like, I might get whatever is happening to her if I have sex. She wants to have sex with me so much. What's going to happen? Is it going to be invasion of the body snatchers? Is it going to be, you know, what will happen to me? So, at a minimum, we'll say that, but that seems to be the part that everybody can go, okay, he was a creep, but, you know, he's just, he's he's so charming, and that's just his personality, and boys will be boys, and it's okay. Um, so, yeah, and then, and then, of course, you know, at the, at the end, then, oh, and by the way, I just, I did want to throw out there, though, that while she is possessed by Gozer, um... She says to him when she's trying to have sex with him, I want you inside me. Yeah. Now, you're an 8-year-old. You're a 10-year-old. You're a 12-year-old, you know, in the theater watching this. I mean, and she's... Like, 
the fact that these were family films, you know? I mean, we just don't need to sexualize eight-year-olds. Eight-year-olds don't need to be thinking about getting with women. <laughs> you know, in any form. It's just not necessary. And and then, of course, they imply that when she has sex with Lewis, once he's become the key master, um, like, what would, why did they, I mean, they don't show them having sex. They kind of show them getting up off of a, a platform. And the implication is that they had sex and that it would seem that, right, he, she was like, are you the key master? And then that's why she wants to have sex with him because some sort of sexual act has to happen. And I don't know. There are pagan religions that might yeah. say that, that that's the way things happened in pagan I'm just saying, did it have anything to do with anything? No. It had no, it had no relevance, no impact on the film, made nothing happen. It's just how they, like, you know, got together. It, it was weird. And then, of course, at the end, uh, after she somehow breaks out of the shell of <laughs> the, the dog, uh, uh, I guess Gozer is the dogs and Zul is the, is the woman, um, you know, and I don't know how you break out of that. That's, like, even, that's super weird. But, uh you know, oh, I guess she, you know, she's now in love with Bankman. Like, when would you remember all that? I, I don't know. But she's, yeah. she's not like, I mean, wouldn't you be traumatized for starters? Before you're making out with this scientist who you've seen twice, yeah. <laughs> you know, who's hit, hit on you and been inappropriate. I mean, I feel like there's a lot that you'd want to process and discuss. I don't know. I mean, get, obviously, this is a light comedy. We're reading a lot into it. But that's what we do here is think about how these impact, uh, things impact us. Yeah. Um, the thing that I didn't remember until we watched it this time is about how many religious references there is there yeah. are in, in the film. Yeah. Kind of nonstop. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty weird. In Ernie Hudson's character... Um, you know, mentions, you know, oh, I really like Jesus's style. And uh, it's fascinating. It's fascinating to me on one hand, because as a movie critic and um, watch the rise of the faith based film and, uh, you know, and, and, and it felt like there was a time where you could just have you could just talk about religion in a film. And it wasn't it wasn't about that. It didn't need to be about the religion. It's just like that's how people were. People, my recollection of the 80s is that, is that there wasn't this obsession with religion. Like people were Christian or Jew. Like you were what you were. You know, you went to church, you went to temple, you did your thing. But people didn't discuss it all the time. You know, it wasn't such a focus. It wasn't such a, um, it's just who, you, you know, it's just part of who you were. And that was fine, and that was acceptable, and we all seemed to get along a lot better about these issues than, than when it became your number one driving instinct about everything you do, you know? Yeah. So what I learned uh, by doing a basic internet search is <laughs> that Dan Aykroyd, who wrote this, um, he actually wrote this as a project for, him, for um, himself and John Belushi, and then John Belushi died, and so... I think he probably sat on it for a little bit and then reworked it and, and changed it. So it wasn't too, it was, you know, more ghostbusters and, and kind of refigured it out from there. But Dan Aykroyd actually grew up, uh, in the Catholic religion and considered being a priest. And beyond that, uh, was a spiritualist, um, which is a kind of religion that believes that your soul lives forever. And he has, uh, and, and that a lot of the 
beats in the film. Like, uh, Sci-Fi Wire has a great article, which you should find, um, discussing, like, how many elements tie into this spiritualist religion, the spirit, which is an actual religion. And it, and that even the, the tools that these guys use, which just seem like they're made up things like ectoplasm is actually a real thing that spiritualists believe that mediums who talk to the dead do, you know, it's part of that transition period is getting that gooey gunk and they would get it on themselves when they were doing a seance or communicating. That's gross. I know. And, you know, the, the, uh, all of, all of these things are part of that religion that they talk about and they reference and that his dad, uh, his dad wrote a book about it and he wrote the foreword for it. Just talking about seances and, and, um, and ESP and all of that stuff actually ties in and there's actually a basis for that. So that's fascinating. Uh, but the spiritualist religion has believes in everything with a scientific eye. So they're saying, this is what we believe, but we're not believing it just like out of faith just out of like, you know, random imaginary things. We, there are scientific reasons that we can point to why this is the way it is. And so he incorporates that with a little bit of his Catholic upbringing down to seeing the archbishop, you know, talking to the mayor about what to do. Yeah, um, that was weird. I, I was like, why did they bring religion into this? I know. Well, I mean, it's so, it, in, and yet you watch it and you sort of accept it. I will say that in New York, the Cardinals, you know, seem to have a stronger uh, em- embrace of the city than we see in L.A. I mean, L.A., you don't really, we don't really, <laughs> I don't know, do we have any religious leaders in L.A.? I have no idea. I know. That, I don't think anybody cares to know. Um, that that kid, Alec Benjamin, is that his name? The singer, the kid, um, has a song like, you, you won't find Jesus in L.A.? <laughs> thinking about that in relation to this, that, you know, if you go to Texas, you know, you've got all sorts of evangelists, you go to Missouri, you go to Oklahoma, you go to all these places and there's these, these, uh, evangelists or these, these prominent people in religion. And then, but in LA, nope, (laughs) not, not really. Uh, No one really stands out. So, uh, yeah. So I think if this took place in LA, it would be a different story. The last thing I want to talk about is Ernie Hudson's character. So it's the unneeded character that never should have come in. Yeah. Honestly, you, you, when you're watching it and you're sort of watching it with a different point of view, you're kind of watching it with a thought of, uh, you know, why is there like, okay, so you're, you're halfway through the movie and then you insert a black guy. Were you doing that because you were like, hey, you know, we need some representation here. I don't think in the 80s they were thinking that. So I yeah. don't think that had anything to do with it. Although uh, Dan Aykroyd did want Eddie Murphy for that role. And Eddie Murphy was busy shooting Beverly Hills Cop, which, by the way, was the number one movie in 1984. <laughs> 1984, by the way, considered by some to be the second best year in cinema after 1939. So, um, uh, there were a lot of great films that came out in 1984, but Beverly Hills Cop actually did better at the box office than Ghostbusters, but it was the only one. And, um, and so he was shooting that and he couldn't do it. But, uh, but you know, it's like, why did you add this character? It's so weird. Yeah. But they're at, but you know, but but the moment when I was like, okay, now I see the purpose for him is in the scene where he convinces the mayor 
to, you know, that he needs to trust the Ghostbusters, that he does need to, you know, because at that point, Mm -hmm. right, you know, they've got the EPA guy, who's the government guy, saying they caused this whole thing. They're the criminals. And Ernie Hudson says, hey, I'm I'm just a regular guy, but what I've seen them do, you know, and and so he's the one who can give sort of the— uh, the third-party credibility. And so what he actually represents is the viewer. He represents us, you know? So you've got these—you have these three guys, and they're kind of wacky, and they almost speak a different language because they're so inside their head about um, the paranormal. And then um, and then you, you're—but by introducing this character who can see things the way we see it and then translate it, that's the point of him. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, was Pretty it enough? <laughs> I mean, I, I did read that in an earlier draft, they had him as one of the four at the beginning. And then it was after they cast Ernie Hudson, then they decided to bring him in halfway. So I don't know if it's because Ernie Hudson wasn't famous and when they were thinking it was going to be Eddie Murphy. They are yeah. like, you're not going to waste Eddie Murphy. You're not going to not use Eddie Murphy for half a movie. You know, yeah. <laughs> you can use Eddie Murphy. He better be in it. From the beginning. And, um, you know, and then with that thought was that if it was Eddie Murphy, that he would be ad-libbing most of the lines, right? Yeah. And so you're like, okay, now we have an actor who we've got to write the lines for, and he's supposed to be the sane one. And and often in comedy, you'll have that, like, uh, you have the one person every, like, uh, I'm going to make a Seinfeld reference, but I know you haven't watched Seinfeld, but other people know. So Jerry Seinfeld is, like, the sane one in that, and everyone else around him is crazy. You know, everyone else around him is, like, wacky, you know, in it, but he's the one who's sane. And a lot of times in comedy, that's what you need. You have a lot of people who are off the wall, but you have to have one person who kind of grounds everything. And that was that was his point. Mm. All right. Did anything change your mind about Ghostbusters discussing no. it? No. Um, do you think that uh, in, in anything that we discussed, can you see how it impacted? Can you see the, the effects yeah. <laughs> in adults today? Okay. Yes, I can see the effects, but it's just not a great movie mm-hmm. yeah and now you guys wouldn't even say who you're gonna call it'd be like you know who you're gonna email for help who you're gonna text who you're gonna like you're just gonna like snapchat your ghosts yeah i mean it actually would probably that, be pretty that happens yeah that happens people snapchat ghosts well there's a face filter and sometimes if you point it in a certain place in your room the face will come up Ooh. Well, that's fun. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Well, this is 80s Movie Guide. A guide to what's wrong with your parents. Thank you for listening. You can find us on social media at 80s Movie Guide. On our website. And 80smovieguide.com. Thanks for listening. When it comes through your door, unless you just want some more, I think you better come.